This is the Humanist Report with Mike Figueredo. This podcast is sponsored by viewers like you on Patreon through PayPal donations with YouTube memberships and Twitch subscriptions. To support the show, go to patreon.com forward slash humanist report or become a member by clicking the join button underneath any one of our videos on YouTube. Members get early access to most videos and get to participate in monthly Zoom hangouts with Mike. Here's the biggest stories we talked about this week on The Humanist Report. Enjoy the show. Last week, Marjorie Taylor Greene introduced the so-called Protecting Children's Innocence Act, which is an anti-trans bill that is explicitly eliminationist in its nature. So as Aaron Reed explains via Twitter, it isn't just a bill that will forcefully medically detransition all trans teens. It also targets trans adults. It includes a ban on healthcare and forced detransition for trans teens, bans insurance coverage for adult trans healthcare, bans higher education slash accreditation from teaching trans healthcare. Its aim is to detransition as many people, including adults, as possible by removing insurance coverage targeting people who teach how to care for trans people and more. This would even bar psychology programs from teaching to recommend gender-affirming care to trans people. It would bar EMTs from learning how to care for us. It would bar therapists from recommending the best medical care. It would bar medical schools from teaching surgeons and endocrinologists. So the goal of this bill is to legally and forcefully eliminate trans people out of American existence. This is the definition of an eliminationist piece of legislation, and it should horrify everyone. So what this will do is it would make gender-affirming care to trans youth a Class C felony for doctors with the penalty of 25 years in prison. Now, Marjorie Greene designed this legislation this way because we saw the way that criminalizing certain procedures has had an effect on doctors in states like Texas, where abortion is banned. So doctors in, so doctors in the state are so terrified to perform uh, abortions or procedures that would remove the fetus, even if the woman has already miscarried, because they don't want to be accused of doing an abortion on a live fetus. So the same thing would be true here. So that way, even if they were to recommend social transition for a child, they'd be so terrified to do that that they lose their medical license and face penalties of 25 years in prison that they would just not offer the care altogether. That's the goal of this bill. Now, at the time that I record this, it has 14 co-sponsors. It started out with five, but that number is growing, and we'll talk about why it's growing in a moment here. But just imagine what it would be like if some lawmaker with no medical degree decided to create legislation that would ban doctors from treating diabetic patients with insulin. Well, I say that it's illegal to treat somebody with insulin. It's preposterous, right? But that's similar to what this bill would do because the recommended treatment for trans youth is gender-affirming care. Now, what they try to do is fear-monger and claim that that means castration or bottom surgery, but that's not actually happening. Oftentimes, it just means social transition, and when they reach older ages, if they show persistent gender dysphoria with years of counseling, they can get access to puberty blockers and eventually hormone replacement therapy. But bottom surgery is not performed on minors. In some instances, some doctors will do top surgery on trans boys, but it's when they're in their late teens, they're almost adults, and it's relatively rare. But really what we talk about when it comes to trans youth and the treatment for gender dysphoria as approved by medical professionals and the consensus of physicians and pediatricians is social transition and HRT. But they're saying, no, you can't treat these children in the way that it's recommended by doctors and professionals. You have to treat them in the way that we say. And that means ignore it. 
But this isn't the first time that Marjorie Greene has shown how ignorant she is when it comes to medical issues, when it comes to treating COVID-19. She's against vaccines. So this imbecile is trying to impose her will on doctors when she knows nothing about this. Like, imagine you're a teenager, you're going to school, and you've been able to socially transition. And all of a sudden, you're forced to detransition wear clothing that you don't feel comfortable with, identify as the gender that you don't feel comfortable with. I mean, this isn't a one-to-one -one comparison, but if I were forced to shave off my beard, grow out my hair, wear feminine clothing, dresses, I would not feel comfortable in my own skin. But this is effectively what they are forcing young people to go through. Yeah, it's despicable, it's gross, and this will lead to an increase in deaths of trans youth by suicide in the event this were ever to pass. Now, the reason why the bill is gaining a little bit of popularity, it went from five co-sponsors off the bat to 14, is because she went on the most popular news show in the country to promote it. Tucker Carlson, take a look. But when it comes to gender-affirming care, which is really child abuse, this is actually an assault and it's child abuse. And this, this practice should never happen. It's so disgusting and appalling and it's an embarrassment to our country. You see, I'm one of those that believes the Republican Party is only worth, um, worth being a, a, a true party, worth deserving of the people's votes if we are willing to stand up and stop horrific things like child abuse and like so-called gender-affirming care which is really genital mutilation. It, it's puberty blockers that cause chemical castration. Uh, teenage girls actually having their breasts chopped off. Uh, teenage boys being castrated. This needs to be illegal and I'm introducing a bill called Protect Children's Innocence Act and it would create a law that would cause it to be a class C felony for any person involved in so-called gender affirming care. That means genital mutilation surgery, that means hormones, that means puberty blockers, anything involving any, any youth under the age of 18 because these kids are too young to make these awful decisions that will affect them and will be permanent for the rest of their lives. You cut the breasts off a little girl, you should go to prison, of course. You perform a medically unnecessary hysterectomy on a little girl, you should be in prison. So, I mean, I assume you're going to get every Republican vote for this. You know, I should have every single Republican co-sponsor, but unfortunately I don't yet. I only have five co-sponsors. I'm talking to all of my colleagues and urging them because, Tucker, let me tell you something. This is a referendum on the Republican Party. When we take back the majority, if the American people elect us, we, need to, we have a lot of work to do. Not only do we need to impeach Merrick Garland, we need to clean out the corrupt FBI, we need to hold the Democrats accountable and defund all of their climate garbage, 87,000 IRS army, but there's one thing that we have got to do, and we're not even a party worth deserving of the American people's votes. If we cannot protect children from this horrific child abuse and create this to be a felony, because this practice has to end. It's the, it's the kind of things nightmares are made of, and these are yeah. monsters under kids' beds that are doing these horrific things to them. Yeah, well, you, you can't sexually mutilate children, sorry. And no. I hope you will send us a list of every Republican who's too cowardly to affirm the obvious. Once again, you can't sexually mutilate children, period. No. So thank no. you, Congresswoman, for what you're doing on this. We appreciate it. Thank you, Tucker. So first of all, it should horrify everyone that they want to turn this into a litmus test. And second of all, if they are so concerned with uh, so-called sexual mutilation of children, why do they only focus on trans youth? Because that's not even happening there. But there is arguable mutilation of children's genitalia happening in the United States 
frequently. In fact, between 1980 and 2010, nearly 60% of newborn infants have been circumcised, which is a procedure where the baby's foreskin is surgically removed, which is an irreversible procedure still common in most areas of the country, excluding the West Coast. Where's the outrage for this? Does this not qualify as genital mutilation of children? Well, there's no outrage for this because Tucker Carlson actually defended this procedure and just pay close attention to the reasoning as to why he supports circumcision. I can't even believe that he said this after making the argument we just watched him make, but take a look. You're, you're saying to me that there are opponents to female circumcision. Look, as you know, there's a lot mutilated. of research. I don't want to get into the circumcision debate on mm -hmm. men, but there's, but re should. there's research. Okay, well, then there's research that shows there, there are profound and medical advantages in that. There's no research that shows there's any medical advantage to female First of all, mutilation. that research, research is contested. So he supports circumcision because there is profound medical advantages to circumcision. Oh, okay, so he's trusting the science here, right? Well, here's what the experts say about gender-affirming care for trans youth. Doctors Matuk and Wald of Columbia University say gender-affirming care not only saves lives, but denying this medically necessary treatment to trans youth endangers their health and well-being. And this is the position supported by the vast majority of experts, by the medical consensus, the American Academy of Pediatrics, the American Medical Association. So all of a sudden, when it comes to trans people, Tucker doesn't support the profound medical advantages. Why? Is it because he's a hypocrite? Sure, I think that he knows that, but it's because this isn't about science or genital mutilation. This is about hate. He hates trans people and he wants to forcibly detransition all trans people. He wants to eliminate them from society. This is what that's about absolutely make no mistake about it this is why he wants to make this bill a litmus test for all republicans and when we're talking about genital mutilation it is not an accurate comparison to gender affirming care for trans youth because again what we're talking about here oftentimes with really young trans people is social transition let them live the way that they want to live wear the clothing that they want but when they're older, perhaps they can qualify for puberty blockers. Perhaps they can qualify for HRT. And by the way, puberty blockers, these are given to cis girls to stop them from developing too soon as well. So would this bill also ban puberty blockers for young girls? It's just, it's such a hateful, cruel bill. The fact that they want to make this litmus test tells you how dangerous this party and their ideology is. Now, there's other things that Marjorie Greene said that I want to point out here. She called gender-affirming care child abuse, and she called it genital mutilation. Um, okay, but again, what about circumcision? She claimed that teenage boys are being castrated. That's not actually true. She hasn't provided us with any evidence that this is happening because she's ignorant. She doesn't necessarily have to give you the evidence because they've been sufficiently fear-mongering about gender-affirming care to trans youth for, for long enough that the viewers on Fox News, they automatically assume that what she's saying by default is true. When in actuality, it's ignorant. It's medically illiterate. And what she's saying, like her anti-vax views, it's all not supported by the overwhelming majority of the scientific and medical community. Now, let's go back to the claim that Tucker Carlson made where he suggested that every Republican who's against this isn't a real Republican. This is the most popular news show on the program. So if it's not necessarily the most popular bill right now, wait for it, because he's going to use his platform to generate support for this type of legislation. So that way, in the event Republicans ever were to take back control of all branches of government, this is what they'd want to do if they take back the House. 
I wouldn't be surprised if this bill passed within the next couple of years. We don't have to worry about this in the short term because this bill wouldn't get through the Senate if Democrats held the Senate. This wouldn't be something that Joe Biden were to sign into law. But what this tells you is the trajectory that this party is on by trying to force other Republicans to go along with this eliminationist and frankly genocidal bill against trans people. And it should horrify everyone. Even if you're not trans, this should horrify you that the rhetoric has reached this level where they're trying to eliminate a portion of the population from society forcibly forcing them to not live the way that they want to. Whatever happened to freedom? Shouldn't we be allowed to dress the way that we want to, live the way that we want to? They make it seem as if trans youth come out on Monday, and then by Friday, they're getting bottom surgery. And I've made this point before, but even if you're a trans adult and you qualify for bottom surgery, you can't just go get it easily. It is incredibly cost prohibitive. We have a broken healthcare system where healthcare is not free at the point of service. So it's not even an easy procedure for trans adults to get. But yet they're pretending as if this is something that's a common phenomenon and children are getting castrated. That's just not true, but it's fear-mongering that they're using to drive an anti-trans agenda. And it's gotten to the point where it is very, very dangerous. We are in genocidal territory here and people need to pay attention to this because this is only the beginning and it's going to get a lot worse within the next couple of years. Mark my words. So earlier today, I posted a video about how Tucker Carlson wants to make Marjorie Taylor Greene's trans ban a litmus test for Republicans going forward. And I'd recommend that you check that out because I think it's really important. But I want to further explore the ways in which the rhetoric with regard to LGBTQ plus issues among the far right has escalated substantially. And we're not just talking about bigotry. We're past that point. We're now talking about stochastic terrorism, and we're talking about rhetoric that is explicitly genocidal. So I touched on this issue last week when it comes to the threats that Boston Children's Hospital was receiving after libs of TikTok and Matt Walsh were fear-mongering about the gender-affirming care that they were providing to trans youth. But that hasn't stopped. As Harvard Law's Alejandra Caraballo writes, libs of TikTok has spent the weekend attacking Lurie's Children's Hospital in Chicago by tweeting and retweeting incendiary misinformation six times. Last time they did this, Boston's Children's Hospital received death threats and the FBI got involved. So I need you to know why they're not stopping. It's not like, oh, we feel guilty and we're going to stop. It's not even that. It's they see what they're doing. They see the effect that they're having and they want that to be the effect. The goal here is to harass and intimidate so that way doctors and parents feel disinclined from seeking out gender affirming care or providing gender affirming care, as is the case with doctors to trans youth. That is the ultimate goal. But we're talking about a multitude of tactics here. And by the way, that is stochastic terrorism, what Libs of TikTok is doing, and Twitter has not taken action, even if it is the case that that is not freedom of speech. If you incite harassment and violence, that is not protected speech. But yet it continues to happen and somebody is going to get killed. But I want to talk about other tactics that individuals within the far right movement are doing to punish people for being who they are. So let's talk about Crystal Alonso. This is a member of a group called Moms for Liberty, and this group has been able to successfully not only cancel LGBTQ plus events, pride events, but they've also managed to get hundreds of pro LGBTQ books banned from schools. Now, Crystal has a recommendation as to how lawmakers could handle education and dealing with the existence of queer children going forward. Let's watch. You know, I was just thinking about that the kids that do have their, you know, they're confused or they are gay or whatnot, 
that the way that they're trying to go about it is to make it an open conversation and open thing in classrooms. But like, for example, children with autism, Down syndrome, they have to have special IEP meetings with a counselor. They have to be put into separate classrooms. And I understand because it's a different type of education for children with those disabilities. But I think that for children that identify differently, there should also be like a specialized something for them so they feel that they're important enough that they're being counseled and why not have that conversation that you're explaining in front of everyone i think for the same reason why teachers wouldn't just bring a child with autism in front of class and be like hey he's got autism Mm -hmm. embarrassment um, but what is in your eyes embarrassing about being gay it's not that it's something to be embarrassed about but you i mean i'm sure that you understand a lot of kids that are young and feel gay, some of them are shamed. Because they, they feel about that, about it in their classroom. Right, which I understand, but there's just a way to go about it. Oh, that everybody yeah, is respected. See, it's not that she doesn't want icky queer kids around her straight kids. It's that, you know, we want to protect these queer kids. So we should segregate them, put them in different classrooms because that's what is needed. Now, children who are developmentally disabled, they are in special classrooms because those teachers specifically are trained to deal with the needs that they have, unique needs, address their unique circumstance. But when it comes to queer kids, they're similarly situated to their heterosexual peers, so there's no reason to separate them unless you don't want them around your kids. It's like we have an example of this somewhere in history, but I can't quite place it. Now, Crystal isn't alone in making that recommendation because another individual, a GOP operative, if you will, and friend, according to him, of Carrie Lake, the GOP candidate of Arizona, also made the recommendation that maybe we should uh, separate um, queer people for a very good reason, according to him. Let's watch. You know, this monkeypox is serious, you know? We need to uh, quarantine and isolate all the folks of the LGBT community. We need to find all of them. We need to hunt them down and put them into isolation camps for their own protection. Um, you know, monkeypox needs to, we have to stop the spread somehow. So uh, the best way is probably to, you know, find all the LGBT folks and, you know, put them in camps, something like that. Something like that. So hunt them down and put them in camps. Hmm. It's almost like there's another example of this happening in history again. Maybe you think, wow, perhaps they're just historically ignorant and they haven't learned from the past. Oh, no, no, no. They know. They've learned from the past. And they've learned that those tactics are very effective at eliminating people who you view as inferior to you. Now, if this guy looks familiar, that was Ethan Schmidt Crockett. He claims to be a good friend of Republican gubernatorial nominee Carrie Lake, and she followed him on Instagram before he was banned. So, I mean, I have no reason to not believe him. Now, you also probably recognize him because he recently went viral on TikTok for demanding that PetSmart employees take down pride flags. Now, this isn't the only psycho associated with Carrie Lake, as she endorsed Republican nominee for Oklahoma State Senate, Aaron Jackson, who claims that the existence of Jewish people is evidence that evil exists in the world and implied that Christ will, quote, shock those kinds of people along with communists, the Illuminati, and the Rothschilds, and they'll be chucked into the fire specifically. So she keeps associating with 
Nazi types, but you know, I guess it's just a coincidence. Now, speaking of Oklahoma candidates, let's get to another story where uh, this individual has decided to not denounce comments he made not too long ago, where he says we should definitely stone gays. And we're not talking about giving them free marijuana because that would be delightful. We're talking about actually killing them specifically because they're homosexual. As Carmen Foreman of the Oklahoman explains, Republican Scott Esk, 56, who faces Gloria Bannister in Oklahoma State House District 87, has made headlines lately for old Facebook comments he made in which he wrote, gay people are worthy of death and we would be totally in the right to stone them. He has defended the comments that he made in 2013 that surfaced when he unsuccessfully ran for a different house seat in 2014. When contacted this week, Esk complained about a 2014 article about him in the Oklahoman that he called a hit piece. Although he did not elaborate on the content of the story, Esk declined an interview about his campaign and directed the Oklahoman to videos he posted on his YouTube page. Quote, I've stood up for what is right in the past and I intend to in the future and I am right now, he said. That's got me in trouble. The media are not my friends as far as I'm concerned. So in other words, his views have not changed and he still unapologetically believes that gays are worthy of death and it's justifiable for them to be stoned. Yeah, but you can breathe a little bit easier knowing that he claims he would not make it a law in the state of Oklahoma to extend the death penalty to homosexuals. Whew, I was getting worried there for a second. He just thinks that it's justifiable if the gays are stoned, but don't actually do it. He's not going to make that legal. Whew, I'm so glad he's a reasonable person here. Now, it's not just gays and trans people who are the targets of fascists in the United States because other marginalized people are always the targets. We talked about the way that they are anti-Semitic, but they also are targeting women lately. As Chuds of TikTok, the good of TikTok account points out that before Florida State House candidate Luis Miguel was banned from all of social media, well, he called for the death penalty for women who got abortions. Oh, and he also wanted to legalize the murder of FBI agents, IRS agents, and agents at the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives. So on one hand, you know, he says we should protect innocent lives, which is why we should murder women who get abortions, but also it should be legal to shoot, presumably to kill federal agents. This is the GOP, but look, not everyone in the GOP, to be fair, is as extreme as that. Some of them are more, quote, moderate, such as Tudor Dixon. She is the Republican gubernatorial nominee in Michigan, and when asked if 14-year-old rape victims should be forced to have their rapist's baby, her answer was essentially, yes, they should be forced to have their rapist's baby, arguing that rape victims often find healing through the baby when they force them to have said baby and claims that they often have strong bonds with their rapist's baby, therefore they shouldn't have the choice to abort it. Have your rapist's baby and you'll love it later. This is what they're saying, no choice for you. And this is the more reasonable position, apparently, because at least she's not saying, oh, well, we should kill that 14-year-old if she gets an abortion, right? I mean, she hasn't said this, but this is what we're dealing with now. Do you understand? A few years ago, I think that it was reasonable to deduce that the majority of the Republican Party were proto-fascists. But nowadays, that is no longer correct. They are no longer proto-fascists. They are fascists, period, full stop. They are violent. And they're calling for violence increasingly so. They're doing violence increasingly so. They pose a threat to normal Americans increasingly so. And their rhetoric has become genocidal. Now, the only question is, when are they going to actually carry out said genocide? They're starting to do that legally with bills introduced by Marjorie Taylor Greene and being promoted by fascist propagandists like Tucker Carlson. But when does it actually get worse?
we're in the midst of that right now. We're in the middle of getting worse. Now, you know, of course, everyone would be alarmed if they started to literally round up LGBTQ plus people and started to kill them. But what we're seeing right now is them just slowly but surely turning up the heat and we're a frog in that boiling pot. But we can't acknowledge how bad it is because it's getting worse slowly. So they're turning up the heat slowly. They're not going to jump too far. But I still want you to notice the demonstrable difference from their rhetoric now and just a couple of years ago. Times are changing fast. The rise of fascism is a threat to all life in the United States and across the globe. And it's not just happening here in the United States. It's happening in other countries as well. We've witnessed the rise of a global fascist movement. And you need to be aware of this because if you don't push back, if you don't try to stop it, then it may be too late. So pay attention to their rhetoric and how violent it has become. And it should absolutely worry all of us. So I want to talk about the National Republican Senatorial Committee, the NRSC. So this campaign is currently under a little bit of scrutiny by Republicans because they feel as if the money that they've raised hasn't been going to Republican candidates in crucial GOP Senate races. And you can kind of see that because currently there's a lot of GOP candidates who are hurting. Herschel Walker, Dr. Oz, J.D. Vance, um, although that's a little bit more closer to my understanding. But regardless, you know, these candidates are bad, but also there's an issue with regard to the money and where it's going. And some Republicans feel as if they've been left high and dry by this organization. So the Washington Post reports Republican Senate hopefuls are getting crushed on airwaves across the country while their national campaign fund is pulling ads and running low on cash, leading some campaign advisors to ask where all the money went and to demand an audit of the committee's finances according to Republican strategists involved in the discussions. In a highly unusual move, the National Republican Senatorial Committee this week canceled bookings worth about $10 million, including in the critical states of Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Arizona. A spokesman said the NRSC is not abandoning those races, but prioritizing ad spots that are shared with campaigns and benefit from discounted rates. Still, the cancellations forfeit cheaper prices that came from booking early and better budgeting could have covered both. The NRSC RSC's retreat came after months of touting record fundraising, topping $173 million so far this election cycle, according to Federal Election Commission disclosures. But the committee has burned through nearly all of it with the NRSC's cash on hand, dwindling to $28.4 million by the end of June. Other spending decisions, such as putting about $1 million total into Reliably Blue Colorado and Washington earlier this month, sparked fresh questions after the committee turned around and canceled buys in core battlegrounds. So this is really interesting to me. So the decisions that they're making are being questioned by Republican strategists because they don't understand it. And really nobody who's politically savvy understands this. So you have candidates in battleground states saying, hey, we're really getting crushed here. We need more money for television spots. And then all this money that they had, all of a sudden it's dwindle down to what was it 26 million and then they're spending money in deep blue states where they have no chance of winning i mean i don't think that you should just if you're running a campaign ignore these blue states but really i mean when it comes to washington you have no chance so you're not going to win a senate race in washington in 2022 so that money is better spent elsewhere on battleground states but it's like 
they're not doing that and they're fucking pissed so i'm not going to cut away but i want to read one quote by a gop operative because what he says or this is a consultant excuse me but what he says here is hilarious so he says if they were a corporation the ceo would be fired and investigated wow so he's tacitly calling for action here, but then he does actually make a recommendation. Um, the way this money has been burned, there needs to be an audit or investigation because we're not going to take the Senate now and this money has been squ squandered. It's a ripoff. So he's not going so far as to say that leadership at the NRSC should go, but I mean, certainly there needs to be an audit or an investigation. And I don't think he's wrong to call for this. So the question is, who's in charge? Well, the chair of the NRSC is none other than Senator Rick Scott. And they don't think that he's just incompetent. They think that he's literally using the NRSC to promote himself in hopes of possibly boosting his profile and name recognition in a potential future presidential run. And their speculation here isn't necessarily absurd considering that he's cut ads for the NRSC featuring himself when you should be featuring candidates. I mean, if you're the chair of the NRSC, you need to put the candidates front and center, especially ones in battleground states. Any strategist will tell you this or anyone with common sense would tell you this, but he's cutting ads with himself. Now, to be fair, it's not like he's only cutting ads with himself, but he features himself, you know, to a bizarre extent when you're not the star of the show here. The candidates need to be put front and center. And it's funny that they made him the chair of the NRSC when this individual oversaw one of the largest Medicare scams in the history of the United States when he was the CEO of a healthcare company. But now they're like, let's put him in charge of the Senate uh, campaign's finances. That'll be a good idea. I, I love this. I mean, it's a dumb decision by them, but I'm absolutely satisfied with Rick Scott being in this position. So in a 2018 article for the South Florida Sun Sentinel, they explain Columbia slash HCA, Scott's company at the time, gave kickbacks to doctors so they would refer patients. Columbia slash HCA made patients look sicker than they were so Medicare would pay more. Columbia slash HCA kept two sets of books. The settlement required Columbia slash HCA to pay one point seven billion dollars in fines then the largest healthcare fraud case in the country when the federal investigation of rick scott's former hospital company became public in 1997 the board of columbia and hca forced him out scott left with 300 million dollars in stock a 5.1 million dollar severance and a 950 thousand dollars per year consulting contract for five years so he oversaw at the time the largest medicare scam in history and he makes out like a bandit the company admitted to 14 felonies related to fraud and business practices scott himself pled the fifth 75 times during his depositions and now the gop is like you know what you're gonna be the chair of our senate campaign arm you're gonna be the one that decides what we do with this money where we put it how we spend it and they thought this was a good idea. I mean, as Gary Legum put it, Rick Scott oversaw the biggest Medicare fraud in history. So the GOP and its genius put him in charge of its national campaign fund and is now wondering where all its money went. Incredible. Absolutely. It's perfect. And I have to add, I'd be remiss to not include his bizarre agenda. I think it was like the Save America plan. I'm not necessarily sure what he called it, but he created this like 10 point plan or eight point plan of policies in his view that would help the country or save the country, however he framed it. But part of this 
included raising taxes on working Americans, cutting Social Security. It was just disastrous to the point where the GOP ran away from it and Democrats made it into like a laughing Scott. They said, oh, you know, the NRSC, this is the National Rick Scott Committee because he was trying to or he didn't like explicitly try to make this the NRSC's priorities, but like since he's the chair, obvi obviously there's that connection there. He's associated with it. So like the implication was that, oh, well, is this what the Senate is running on? Like increasing our taxes as, we're, as working Americans and cutting Social Security? Because I don't support that, which is why the GOP had to run away from it. So now the money has been squandered. They raised $173 million and that's down to $26 million, give or take. And they're wondering, what the fuck happened? Because now we're losing these races. We don't have that much money. You spent all the money and now there's months left and candidates in crucial battleground states are wondering what the fuck is going on. And you put money into deep blue states where you're not going to win. What's happening here? What's happening? And that's a valid question. It's a very valid question. Now they list out where the money was spent in the article to an extent, but it's not necessarily clear that there's answers for everything. For example, so the committee disclosed spending 23 million on ads with more than 21 million going into text messages and more than 12 million to American Express credit card payments, whose ultimate purpose isn't clear from the filings. According to the Washington Post, the committee also spent at least 13 million on consultants, 9 million on debt payments, and more than 7.9 million renting mailing lists, campaign finance data show. So you're spending 12 million on American Express credit card payments. You're putting um, all this money into texting and renting mailing lists when the Republican Party should have enough mailing lists itself. The NRSC should have mailing lists sufficient to raise money. But here we are. So I love this story so much. This story is a feel-good story. It puts a smile on my face. I love that he's squandering their money. And I love that now they are possibly regretting putting him in this position of power when this individual has proven that he is a fraud, quite literally. The individual who oversaw the largest Medicare scam in history shouldn't be in a position of power where he's overseeing the finances of an organization that is crucial to the GOP success, but I'm glad he's there and I'm glad that they're pissed. Keep it up, Rick Scott. Keep fucking up. Keep squandering their money because this is good, not just for the Democratic Party, but good for America. When Republicans do bad, America does better. Now, that's not to say that Democrats are good per se, but when we're dealing with fascists like Rick Scott and other Republicans, anything that they can do to shoot themselves in the foot, I will support that. So this is a great story, and I hope that he doesn't step down. I hope that he's not fired. I hope that he continues to make them mad. Love it. Well, student loan cancellation is back in the news, and cancel student debt is currently trending on Twitter as I film this video, and for good reason. We are supposedly going to get an announcement from the Biden administration tomorrow about his plans to cancel student loan debt and extend the repayment program. And a lot of people are mad following this announcement for a variety of reasons. Some people, like myself, don't think that this goes far enough, and other people think that this goes 
too far, namely individuals like Ben Shapiro and Steven Crowder. But we'll get to their reactions in a second. First, I want to give you the details about this plan. So as The Hill reports, the White House is expected to announce a plan to cancel a chunk of student loan debt on Wednesday, in addition to an extension of the existing payment pause, three sources with knowledge of the situation told The Hill. Sources said President Biden's intended measure will include at least $10,000 in loan forgiveness for borrowers who make less than $125,000 annually, as well as another payment freeze for roughly four months. Now, this has not been confirmed as of yet, but that payment freeze is supposedly going to be the final payment freeze. So after these four months, repayments will indeed resume, like it or not. And it's convenient that they are set to resume after the midterm elections. Now, to be very clear here, if you are an individual who makes more than $125,000 per year, you will not qualify. If you're a family that makes $250,000 per year, you also will not qualify. Now, I'm thankful that I personally qualify. The problem is that Biden's decision to means test this is going to complicate the entire program for everyone, because rather than just having the Department of Education send all of us a letter letting us know that $10,000 of student debt will be canceled, the problem is that now we have to opt in. And this is because the Department of Education doesn't actually have financial data. They don't know the incomes of student loan borrowers. So how are they supposed to know who does and doesn't qualify? Well, you have to create some sort of a system where people opt in or sign up for loan forgiveness, which complicates it. It makes us jump through more hoops. And more importantly, it means that people who need this might not actually get access to it if they don't sign up or they don't know about this particular program. So it's a problem and there's no need to means test this cancel ten thousand dollars across the board if you're going to do that because the people who make more than two hundred fifty thousand dollars per year they're going to view this as a welfare program and they're going to hate it and this is why people don't like welfare programs when you means test things and you stop access to it universal programs are much better because they're more popular and they're just easier to implement but biden doing this is um obnoxious but again i'm gonna take it happily so but ten thousand dollars is not enough now if he's not going to cancel fifty thousand or at all what he should at least do is zero out the interest rate the federal government holds more than 90 percent of all student loan debt so there's no reason why they can't just unilaterally get rid of all of our debt in one fell swoop like that via executive order or say we're no longer paying interest because the interest is really what keeps people in debt because individuals who take out say thirty thousand dollars will they pay that off after a number of years or they pay that amount after a number of years and they end up owing more because the interest rate is so high that they can never catch up and we'll get to a video of people's stories here but first i want to react to how conservatives responded to news that biden would be canceling a measly ten thousand dollars if you look to what student loan activists are saying well, they don't think this is enough. It's insufficient. I mean, the $10,000 that he's canceling will be back within a couple of years just because of interest. So it's insufficient. He's not even trying to actually meaningfully address this issue. But still, conservatives are mad that he's doing the bare minimum. So Ben Shapiro tweeted out, I have a controversial idea about paying off student loan debt. Don't take out debt you will likely be unable to pay off, and don't ask others to pay off your debts. Now, before I tell you why he's a hypocrite, first of all, I just want to respond to his argument here. Um, education is a human right. Higher education is a human right. And millions and millions of people were told that the way that they, that they get a good paying job was to get a degree. The way that you climb your way up the economic ladder, the way that you escape poverty is you go to college. 
that's what I was told. And that didn't necessarily bear out for a lot of us. So to blame us for doing what we were told to do, what historically has been the correct thing to do if we wanted to be successful is incredibly gross. But on top of that, these loans aren't like other loans. These are loans that are nearly impossible to discharge. You can't file bankruptcy on student loans. Other loans, you can do that. If you take out a loan for a car, you can file bankruptcy on that and get that loan discharged. But student loans, in large part due to Biden's bankruptcy bill when he was a senator, you can't get rid of them. So these aren't just like other loans. They are predatory and they are necessary if you want to get a degree, which again is important. But let me explain to you why Ben Shapiro is the biggest hypocrite on the planet. As Chaotic Leftist points out, he took out a low interest PPP loan from the government during COVID and the entirety of that loan, along with the interest it accrued, was forgiven. So Ben Shapiro, who got thousands and thousands of dollars from big daddy governments, had other people pay that off, had the taxpayers pay off that loan. He was just given free money by the government, and now he's complaining that student debt holders shouldn't get the same luxury that he received. That's just insane, especially considering he runs a news podcast. I run a podcast that was not impacted by the pandemic. I mean, I talk to a camera. You can still do that regardless if there's social distancing, shutdown rules. These loans were intended for smaller businesses who were hurting during the pandemic because they were forced to shut down. There's an arcade outside of Portland that was shut down because they couldn't actually open during the beginning stages of the pandemic. This was meant for those types of small businesses. But you have rich-ass multimillionaires like Ben Shapiro not only taking that loan, but getting it forgiven and then condemning other people who want the same thing that he got. Unreal. But he's not alone because Steven Crowder also tweeted, student loan forgiveness sounds really nice to illegal immigrants, people with no life experience, people who don't have families yet, and people who use preferred pronouns. Okay, I don't see how any of that is related, but it also sounds like a right-wing propagandist like Steven Crowder, who had the entirety of his $70,000 plus PPP loan, including the interest forgiven by big daddy government. Now, after providing the internet with these receipts, Lance from the Surfs points out, every single right-winger who is complaining about government handouts or student loan forgiveness are monstrous hypocrites. Their grift depends on selling you big government and social programs bad while they love taking advantage of them. Exactly. And to be clear, this is somebody who also runs a podcast. How were you affected? How was your business in particular affected during the pandemic, Stephen Crowder? In fact, he was downplaying COVID-19. He's an anti-vaxxer. He complained about masking. So if anything, I mean, you should be the least affected by this pandemic. I get that you have employees, but business was still running, was it not? So why did you need this $70,000 loan from the government that was eventually forgiven? I mean, the way that we could have had our loans forgiven, if we're, you know, being honest here is we could have just started podcasts and taken out PPP loans and then paid off our student debt with that. Zero interest. I mean, we saw how they've all been forgiven. It's just ridiculous. I could have done that. I have a podcast, but I'm actually an honest person and it doesn't cost very much money to run a podcast. If I need equipment that breaks down, sure, that's an expense. But to take loans that were offered to small businesses during a pandemic when they were forced to close, when they work with the public. That's just gross. But that didn't stop these right-wingers. They did it anyway. 
and now they're complaining about other people who want their loans forgiven. It's just infuriating. But it's not just right-wingers, to be fair, because back in late May, the Mueller She Wrote podcast responded to widespread disappointment over news that the Biden administration was not going to cancel $50,000 in student debt with a thread saying, if Biden forgives $10,000 in student debt and you have decided you won't vote for Democrats because you want $50,000, I have a favor to ask, and I'm being 100% serious. Call up a parent of a slaughtered student or a loved one at Rob or in Buffalo or a family member of someone at Sandy Hook or Colorado or AME and tell them you've decided to help elected Republicans who will keep allowing mass murderers because you didn't get enough debt relief. Then speak to a friend that's a member of the LGBTQ plus community and explain to them how you'd really like to help preserve their right to marry who they love, but you just can't because you only got 10,000 free dollars. Now the thread goes on and on and on. But it's bizarre that this person can't empathize with the suffering and disappointment of others because in this week, there were reports that Biden may cancel $50,000. He told Luis uh, Cardona that he's going to be very pleased with the amount that he announces. But come to find out the next day, he said, no, it's not going to be $50,000. So a lot of people were disappointed. But this person apparently doesn't care despite the fact that they had their loan forgiven because they took out a PPP loan as well. And as Poppy Hayes asks in response to this thread, hey, quick question, how do you respond to the fact that you took a loan of $52,000 from the government via the PPP and had it forgiven yet want to deny forgiveness to others? And as you can see here, their $52,000 PPP loan was forgiven in its entirety, interest and all. So this person this podcast, again, which doesn't need this loan for small businesses during a pandemic, took out that loan and then had it forgiven. But now is uh, bemoaning others who dare to vocalize disappointment that Biden is just doing the bare minimum. And really, it's arguable to say that he's doing the bare minimum because if you just cancel $10,000, but you don't actually grapple with the interest rates and how high they are, then really we're never going to be able to pay this debt off. We're never going to be able to discharge it. So I, I hate these people who have this fuck you, I got mine attitude. It's so incredibly disgusting. But this is the conversation. These are the types of things that we see whenever this comes back up. Now, we don't know what the final details will be. We'll find out tomorrow. But this is important. Now, I want to play a video clip for you. This is from um, Student Debt Crisis Organization. I played this a couple of weeks ago on the program, but nobody watched it. But this video encapsulates exactly why these student loans are predatory and must be forgiven. Because at the rate that we're going, they will never be forgiven. And that is something that you can't have. This is a crisis. And to just allow the crisis to continue is not acceptable. So watch these stories. Walking away on commencement day meant I had a diploma in one hand and an invoice for a six-figure student loan debt in the other. The loan was originally a $24,000 loan. Currently, I owe over $45,000 and I've been paying it off for about six years now. I paid $103,000 on $82,000 debt and I still want $45,000. That's money that I can't put toward retirement. A student loan, it's not coming down, it's going up. My debt started off at $33,000. It is now somewhere closer to $200,000. I probably will be paying them till I'm 80 years old at this point. Graduated in 1998 with $29,000 of student loan debt. This year, my student loan debt has accumulated to 
almost $52,000 after paying on it all these years. I was able to get rid of this debt. It would set me up for a more successful future. Cancel all student debt. Let us do the financial contributions to our economy that we want to do, that we're trying to do. President Biden, we need help. 10,000 is not gonna do it. You bailed out people with money, you bailed out the big banks, but you won't bail out the everyday person such as myself. That right there is important. That is incredibly important. You heard from people who took out student loans decades ago, and they still have not been able to pay those loans back, and they owe more now than the loan that they took out. This is a catch-22. This is a scam, but yet when we talk about student debt cancellation, right-wingers and other individuals, liberals, clutch their pearls if we dare to vocalize disappointment that it's not more than a measly $10,000, which barely scratches the surface for most of us. Now, again, I'm going to take the $10,000 happily so. It's better than nothing, but it's not actually going to meaningfully help me put a dent in the student loans that I have. And I'm not alone here. A lot of people have a lot of student loans. This disproportionately affects people of color. So to not actually really cancel a bulk of it, most of it, or address the interest payments, this low, uh, this crisis will continue. So that's where we're at in this country, where even canceling $10,000 is controversial when it should be controversial because it's not sufficient. There shouldn't be anyone angry about this decision because it's too much. Everyone should collectively agree that this is insufficient. And if we're ever serious about getting student debt holders out of debt, and letting them live their lives, move on, stimulate the economy, purchase homes, cars, then we have to cancel all of it. Or at a very, very minimum, zero out the interest payments or the interest rates rather, because the interest alone is enough to keep people in debt forever, aside from the fact that you can't discharge these loans, unlike other types of loans Americans are able to take out. I voted for the pain capable bill the fetal heartbeat bill and fetal heartbeat has been for six weeks now the second week that this that the fetal heartbeat bill became law a doctor called me out of anderson i live in easley a 19 year old girl appeared at the er she was 15 weeks pregnant her water broke and the, the fetus was unviable. The standard of care was to advise her uh, that they could extract or she could go home. The attorneys told the doctors that because of the fetal heartbeat bill, because that 15-week-old had a heartbeat, the doctors could not extract. So their only choices were to admit the 19-year-old until that fetal heartbeat stopped. I asked, how long does it? take to stop she said seconds minutes hours maybe days or discharge they discharged that 19 year old the doctor told me at that point there's a 50 percent chance well first she's going to pass this fetus in the toilet she's going to have to deal with that on her own there's a 50 percent chance greater than 50 percent chance that she's going to lose her uterus there's a 10 percent chance that she will develop sepsis and herself die that weighs on me. I voted for that bill. These are affecting people. 
and we're having a meeting about this, it took that whole week I did not sleep. That was Republican State Representative Neil Collins of South Carolina expressing deep regret over a forced brother bill that he supported after seeing its consequences. And I'm glad that he feels guilt. I'm glad that this weighs heavily on his conscience. I'm glad that it keeps him up at night. This should teach him a lesson because as a lawmaker, you can't just vote on legislation that makes you feel good. Believe it or not, policymaking is very complicated. You can't just vote on things based on your ideology. You have to determine whether or not voting for something, a particular policy that you create, is going to have the intended output. So if you pass a policy, you don't necessarily know if that's going to lead to other unintended consequences. And if so, how can you incorporate that into the current bill that you're voting on to mitigate these unintended consequences? Like these policymakers, they lead me to believe that they've never taken a policymaking political science course. And I feel like that's really important. Like people kind of brush aside the social sciences, but political science is very important and policymaking in and of itself is really complicated. So if you don't know about these things, if you don't know about medical decisions, if you haven't spoken to experts, if you haven't brought in doctors who would have told you what you're seeing now, I mean, I'm glad you feel guilty. I'm glad he changed his heart. But I'm also glad that he feels guilty. He should feel guilty because that's just when you ruin people's lives with your legislation, I want you to feel that. And it's sad that more people don't actually feel the same way or actually admit that they fucked up, quite frankly. Now, this is a huge thing for an individual like Neil Collins, because before every indication that he's given us suggests that he's very, very extremist on this particular issue. In fact, on his Facebook in 2018, he regurgitated lies about Planned Parenthood based on heavily edited sting videos by the far-right propaganda outlet Project Veritas. And in 2019, he vocalized his intent to support a fetal heartbeat bill and voted for two other pieces of anti-abortion legislation, even knowing that what he was supporting was unconstitutional, but he was hoping that supporting these unconstitutional bills would trigger a challenge to Roe, so that way the Supreme Court would take it up again since the makeup of the court had changed with Trump being president. But now he's in the finding out portion of fucking around. He's realizing that banning abortion doesn't just mean that, oh, women who, you know, use abortion as a form of birth control willy nilly aren't going to be able to get abortions. I mean, even if that were the case, that'd still be wrong to ban abortions. But it goes broader than just banning abortions. It It actually impacts people who have miscarriages. It affects women who have a fatal fetal defect and not getting rid of the fetus doing a procedure similar to an abortion might actually threaten their lives. Now, just a quick update to this story, courtesy of media. I, the woman Collins referred to eventually returned to the hospital two weeks later to have her fetus extracted. After Collins' remarks, he refused to vote for a near-total abortion ban that does not include exceptions for rape or incest. The only exception would be to save the life of the mother. The reason why so many more pro-lifers are going to come to the same conclusion as Neil Collins did is because they haven't thought this through. They just based their ideology, their pro-life, i.e. forced brother view, on this feeling that, oh my God, this is what is going to protect life. So, of course, I have to do this. But in actuality, they don't realize that their advocacy for banning abortion is going to endanger the lives of women. And as more of these types of stories come out, well, more people are going to realize that they were wrong.
And we've talked about these stories on the podcast again and again, but just to give you a quick recap, as Dahlia Lithwick of Slate writes, every day between now and November, we are going to hear about atrocities befalling women whose complicated pregnancies, miscarriages, and forced birth are not the stuff of Hallmark movies. These tales are becoming part of virtually everyone's collective muscle memory. This week alone, we have endured the story of a Louisiana woman, Nancy Davis, who will be forced to carry a skullless fetus for the next six months, and the 16-year-old in Florida deemed too too immature to abort, but seemingly just fine to be a parent. Republicans devoted last month to calling a child rape victim who was denied abortion care in Ohio and flown to Indiana for treatment a liar. We're hearing horror stories about women denied access to methotrexate, which is used to treat certain types of cancer because it can be used for abortion. We're hearing about pharmacists refusing to fill prescriptions for Plan B and oral contraceptives. We're hearing about the Texas woman who carried a dead fetus for two weeks and the women who cannot be treated for ectopic pregnancies and miscarriages until their own lives are at risk are now the stuff of daily reporting, as are the certifiably insane responses from Republican candidates, including Michigan's GOP candidate this week, who argued that 14-year-old rape victims should be forced to carry to term because the forced birth will provide a bond that is healing. And so as these stories continue to spread and go viral, there's going to be a plethora of forced birthers who realized that they were wrong. But the problem is that there are some forced birthers who will never change their mind. They're that unreasonable. They've made it very clear that they believe that the fetus is more important than the woman's life. So I like to see stories of lawmakers like this, lawmakers like Neil Collins admitting that he was wrong, but the problem is that not everyone is going to admit they were wrong, even if they know they were wrong. In fact, I'd argue that a lot of lawmakers don't even believe what they say when it comes to abortion. They know that abortion is not murder, as they argue, but they say this because if they betray evangelicals, a very vocal and sizable portion of the GOP base, which is a reliable voter, a reliable constituent, then their political career may be over. So they basically have to pretend as if this is a reasonable position when they know it's not reasonable, it's irresponsible, and it's going to endanger the lives of countless women, as we've already seen. But whenever we see you know, a moment where a politician is honest, I want to celebrate that. I'm not going to give him credit because he should have listened to doctors and women before voting on that legislation and voting on the other anti-abortion bills that he supported. But still, I give him credit in the sense that he was willing to own up to his mistakes. But now what matters is him righting this wrong, fixing the mistake that he made, being an advocate for the pro-choice movement who logically claims that this is a decision that is very personal and it should be left up to the woman and her doctor. Is it fair to people who in fact uh, do not own multi-billion dollar businesses to see what these guys give them all a tax base? Is that fair? What do you think? What about people who pay their loans so struggle to pay their loans and now others don't have to? And that, my friends, is how it's done. That was President Joe Biden shutting down a reporter's question about whether or not student debt cancellation is somehow unfair. Now, we'll address whether or not it is unfair. I think that those arguments are important, so we'll talk about that a little bit later in this video. But because Joe Biden decided to do something that's good, minimal, albeit still good, 
Well, of course, the GOP is incredibly furious and they are going out of their way to attack Biden for this. So let's take a look at the front page of Fox News. Currently, they say that Biden is slamming Americans with a handout that taxpayers will be forced to foot. Hmm, they didn't seem too angry when the Republican Party passed tax cuts for the rich, but apparently now that working class people are getting a little bit of relief, they're irate. Mitch McConnell decided to tweet about this saying, Democrat student loan socialism, this man does not know what socialism means, is a slap in the face to working Americans, these are working Americans who disproportionately benefit from this, who sacrificed to pay their debt or made different career choices to avoid debt. A wildly unfair redistribution of wealth toward higher earning people, as if people who have student debt currently have any fucking wealth, Jesus Christ. But as Public Citizen points out, you literally canceled 1.9 trillion dollars in tax cuts for the rich you should sit this one out exactly now john idarola responded by saying i was lucky enough to be able to pay my student loan debt and let me say it is in no way a slap in the face to see others relieved of that burden exactly now mitt romney who is a multimillionaire whose mansion has an elevator for his cars decided to weigh in and said sad to see what's being done to quote bribe voters as if delivering for the working class is bribing biden's student loan forgiveness plan may win Democrats some votes, but it fuels inflation, foots taxpayers with other people's financial obligations, is unfair to those who pay their own way, and creates irresponsible expectations. Now, let me just pause right there to address that argument that taxpayers will have to foot this bill. The overwhelming majority of student loans are held by the federal government. So by canceling a certain amount of debt, it's not like the government has to raise that money to pay for it. The government is just saying, we're not going to collect this money from student debt holders. You can look at it as a tax cut, but instead they're saying, no, well, somebody else is going to be harmed. Except we don't actually view things this way when we're talking about giveaways to defense contractors in the military industrial complex or complex or wealthy elites. It's only when the working class get a little bit of relief which is when they're so concerned about the tax burden. Yeah, shifting the tax burden over the course of decades from elites to the working class never seemed to worry them. But now when working class people get relief, all of a sudden they're horrified about the tax burden. Shut the fuck up. Now the House Judiciary Committee decided to chime in saying, if you take out a loan, you pay it back, period. But as Qasem Rashad noted in his response to them, GOP supported the PPP loan forgiveness program, which overwhelmingly benefited the top 20% of income earners. 4.1 1 million PPP loans were forgiven. The average dollar amount forgiven was $95,700, but $10,000 in student loans for low-income people and the GOP rushes to condemn. No shame. Now, as Justin Barragona also points out, lenders forgave $287 million in unpaid loans to Donald Trump. So where's the outrage there? The GOP doesn't actually care about working class people and middle class people. All they care about is delivering to their wealthy donors. So the reason why they're angry isn't because they're worried about whether or not, you know, the middle class is going to have to foot the bill for this. They're worried that the elites aren't the ones that's getting some extra money. They want them to have it all and they're just hiding the ball and they're trying to LARP as working class sympathizers when in actuality they don't care because this is something that directly benefits working class people and we'll get into that. So let's talk about what Biden is actually going to do. So right off the bat, I'm going to say that my expectations were very low and because of that, I was pleasantly surprised to see that this is better than I expected and it could be a game changer 
assuming we get more details about specific provisions that aren't really being discussed, but what I think are important. So the key points of this plan were tweeted out by the White House, and they are as follows. $20,000 will be forgiven if you received Pell Grants. So this is actually a pleasant surprise. This will automatically cancel thousands of more debt for millions of more people. This is really encouraging. And the expected $10,000 if you did not receive Pell Grants. Now, additionally, forgiveness is limited to individuals earning less than $125,000 per year. And it's not noted on this graphic, but also uh, $250,000 for married couples. So just keep that in mind. The student loan pause is extended one final time through December 31st, and undergraduate loan repayments can now be capped at 5% as opposed to 10% of your monthly discretionary income, and he'll also be raising the level of income that is considered non-discretionary. Although again, this is not on the graphic, but there are more details on the White House website, which I'll link to down below. Now, even if this is not what I wanted. I wanted all of it canceled or at a minimum $50,000. This is still very significant, even if I am admittedly disappointed because 43 million Americans, they hold student debt. And now millions of Americans, nearly half at about 20 million will see their balances completely zeroed out. This is no small thing. This is substantial and this is a good thing. Is it what I wanted? No, I wanted more, but still, nevertheless, this is really important. And to dispel the myth that this is going to help the wealthy student loan borrowers, I mean, this is stupid just on his face because if you're wealthy, if you come from a family with money, you don't have to take out student loans. You don't have to do that. So to claim that this is a giveaway to wealthy Americans is absurd, but this is who this is going to disproportionately benefit. This is courtesy of the Department of Education. 87% of the debt that will be canceled goes to people earning less than $75,000 per year. These are working class Americans. This is not a tax cut for the rich. This is a break for working class people. Now he's also kind of burying the lead here because there are two other potentially massive provisions that could be more beneficial than just canceling 20 or $10,000. So this is courtesy of whitehouse.gov. He'll also forgive loan balances after 10 years of payments instead of 20 years for borrowers with original loan balances of $12,000 or less. The Department of Education estimates that this reform will allow nearly all community college borrowers to be debt-free within 10 years. Also, and perhaps very substantial, it will cover the borrower's unpaid monthly interest so that like other existing income-driven repayment plans, no borrower's loan balance will grow as long as they make their monthly payments, even when that monthly payment is $0 because their income is low. So that right there is what I'm really interested in. Now, we need more details about that specific provision, but what they're doing is they're not zeroing out the interest, which is what I recommended, but they are subsidizing the interest payment as you will so that way your balance won't grow while you're still making payments now the question is well will our balance shrink as long as we're making payments and we don't necessarily know but depending on how charitable this particular provision is this could actually lead to people being able to pay off their student debt within their lifetimes because remember currently people can't pay off their debt because they take out let's say twenty thousand dollars for example but then after trying to pay that off within five years, their balance grows and doesn't go down because the interest rates are so high. So if this actually leads to people paying off their debt over time, this could be really what is needed, but we don't know. Now, the question is, 
how do you sign up? Because this is means tested, unfortunately. So that means you have to opt in some way. Now, currently, we don't have details about how you can actually get these benefits, but I will link you to the Department of Education's page where you can sign up for email updates. It's at the bottom of the page, and they're supposedly going to let us know how to claim this. And that information is supposedly going to come within the following couple of weeks. Um, so look out for that. I signed up for the email updates myself. I hope that they don't spam me, but I want to make sure that I don't miss out. And I recommend that you do the same because again it's means tested so i'm assuming you have to provide proof of income or supply them with your tax return from last year i'm not necessarily sure but i think it's important and worthwhile to sign up i did at least but i mean if not subscribe and i'll try to keep you all updated now i want to address a really good argument made on msnbc about this and a reason why we should still be disappointed if this doesn't wipe out all of our debt and this was a point made by astra taylor she's the co-founder of the debt collective and what she says here, I've made this point, but still it's worth repeating. Take a look. Well, I and the debt collectives have always been of the mindset that every penny of student debt should be erased because college is a public good and it should be free. But there's no doubt this is a huge stepping stone, a milestone on the path to that that end. I mean, the call for debt cancellation was uh, extremely unusual when we first raised it 10 years ago. And now the president is doing it. And, you know, if these um, estimates or these these rumors we're hearing are accurate. I believe they are. And we're seeing $10,000 as a baseline and up to 20,000 for Pell Grant recipients. That means that up to 20 million people could have their balances reduced to zero. That is hugely significant. It shows that all debt can be canceled. If you can cancel 10K or 20K, it can all go um, and it should go. We need to fix the higher education system so that future generations aren't buried in unpayable debt. But absolutely, this is significant and will be a, a big boost uh, for millions of families and for the economy. And that right there is a really important point. If you are demonstrating to us that you do have the authority to unilaterally cancel student debt and you don't cancel all of it, then you're still leaving us hanging. And that's just a little bit frustrating because what millennials are asking for, what Gen Zers are asking for, is we're not necessarily asking for anything new. We're asking to be at parity with our predecessors. I mean, I had conversations with my college professors who are older and, you know, they took out student loans, but they were able to pay it back within months because they were able to get affordable jobs. The cost of tuition wasn't as high back then. So we just want to be able to go to school and not be burdened with debt for the rest of our lives. I think that a higher education is intrinsically valuable and it's a public good and it's a human right. So all we're asking for is to have the same luxury that our predecessors had. But still, there are a lot of people who are in this in-between where they managed to pay off their debt, but they wouldn't qualify now for cancellation. So let's go to a tweet that really demonstrates that. So this is from uh, Karen Herbert, I believe her name is, who writes, I paid off two student loans. Where's my $20,000? Now, I think that Daniela had the perfect response asking, would it be fair to the people the trolley has already killed to divert it now? And that's a really good question because think about this. Do we just stop making progress in the name of fairness? I mean, think about this in 2020. So many people died due to COVID-19. Does that mean that we don't offer the vaccine to people the following year because it would be unfair to the people who died? Do we never advance medically or technologically because previous generations didn't have access to the technology that we have access to? I mean, if you buy into this argument, this is by definition an argument to keep us forever in a state of 
regression where we never make progress because we're always worried about whether or not some people will or won't be left out. Now, I understand, like, uh, trying to empathize with Karen here, if I just managed to pay off my student debt, which I can't foresee that happening ever, but if I were able to pay off my student debt and a year later the president announced cancellation, would I be a little bit disappointed? Sure. I would take the stance that John Iderola takes where it's like, mm, I'm not going to be mad. Sure, I wish I could have benefited from that, but I'm not going to be mad that other people are getting relief. But I still sympathize with their argument. So this is why if I were, you know, a benevolent dictator, I would find some way to help people within the last five years, let's say, if they paid off their student debt. So perhaps offer them a tax cut or a tax uh, kickback at the end of the year, $5,000, $10,000. So that way they don't feel as if all that hard work to pay off that debt was for nothing. But ultimately, I don't think that that's necessary to offer a cancellation. I think that what you need to do is target relief to people who need that the most. And that is people who are struggling with student debt. They can't purchase homes. They can't purchase cars. They can't start their lives and move out of their parents' homes because of this debt that they will have likely for the rest of their lives. But we're finally heading in a direction where that is starting to change. Understand, like a year ago, Nancy Pelosi was saying that the president doesn't have the authority to cancel student debt, even if Trump and Biden canceled some student debt. But now she's applauding him. So the Overton window is shifting, and that's a really good thing. I don't want people to feel disappointed and feel spiteful because some people are getting access to something that they didn't get access to. I, I think that you should celebrate this. And as Caitlin Burns puts it, if you have a problem with the student loan cancellation because you already paid off your student loans, just pretend it's a tax cut for the rich that you also never got but mysteriously didn't complain about. There you go. So it just makes no sense to me how these same people who bemoan student loan forgiveness never question increases to our defense budget, never question, you know, aid to other countries who are human rights abusers, never question whether or not rich people should continue to get tax cuts. And now that working class Americans are getting something, all of a sudden you're going to ask, well, where's mine? I mean, I was asking, where's mine when rich people got bailed out when wall street was bailed out why weren't you there with me asking that same question so yeah you're never going to please everyone and no policy is fair america is a catastrophically unfair system that doesn't mean that we shouldn't celebrate the small wins when we get them i mean this is rare so i'm going to celebrate it uh, look again this is not what i wanted i wanted at least fifty thousand dollars canceled but still to see 20,000 of my student that canceled because I did take Pell Grants, I feel relieved. Not completely relieved, but a little bit more relieved. Because, you know, if it's the case that the government is going to subsidize interest payments and I can actually pay down my student debt, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Something that people my age haven't seen. So, you know, this is a good thing and it's a small victory, but I'm still going to celebrate it, but keep pushing for total cancellation. This isn't the end this is just the start of hopefully more steps to completely eliminate student debt. As you might have heard, governors across the country are scrambling to address the teacher shortage that is now occurring at a national level. And even Fox News seems a little bit worried about this, reporting about how some districts are moving towards a four-day week in order to accommodate less teachers. And in some states like Florida, for example, expectedly, Governor Ron DeSantis concocted the dumbest solution imaginable by letting veterans without degrees teach. Teachers 
have years of education certification behind them so to just open the door to anyone it does indeed lower the standards as the article i pointed to argues but this is an issue and they're right to be concerned about this issue as the washington post reports rural school districts in texas are switching to four-day weeks this fall due to lack of staff florida is asking veterans with no teaching background to enter classrooms arizona is allowing college students to step in and instruct children the teacher shortage in america has hit crisis levels and school officials everywhere are scrambling to ensure that as students return to classrooms someone will be there to educate them. Quote, I have never seen it this bad, Dan Dominic, executive director of the School Superintendents Association, said of the teacher shortage. It is hard to know exactly how many U.S. classrooms are short of teachers for the 2022 to 2023 school year. No national database precisely tracks the issue, but state and district level reports have emerged across the country detailing staffing gaps that stretch from the hundreds to the thousands and remain wide open as summer winds rapidly to a close. So this is undeniably a problem. The question, however, is why is there this teacher shortage? I mean, I think that those of you who are familiar with my show, who've been watching for a while, know why this is occurring. But what's really interesting to me is to see Fox News hosts have this surprised Pikachu face in response to the teacher shortage, considering they've been saying this over the course of the last couple of years about teachers. This is a compilation courtesy of Kat Abu. We're overplaying the importance of education. So doctor, this is grooming, right? Brainwashing toddlers with racist drivel. Cameras in the classroom as we put them on the chests of police officers. But I don't think these teachers are even smart enough to be in the classroom. Teachers hate teaching and they hate their students. They legit hate your kids. They're lazy, they're incompetent. Sluggish cat ladies in sweats stained with chocolate eclairs. The KKK with summers off. Teachers make 20% less than people with similar degrees. But they also work 20% less, exactly. they have school, they have the summers off. They would like less work, no accountability, and much more pay. They're teaching our children to sext. They took God out of our schools, Sandra. To view pornography. And then they, the left replaced it with CRT, which is this neo-Marxist religion. What they are doing is grooming our children for sexual predators. This is a new world order. Everything they do is anti-kid, anti-parent. Why don't you go in there and thrash the teacher? And you're going to get hurt. And I think that should be the rule still. You get beaten up, you should be beaten up, please. Hmm, I just can't quite figure out why teachers don't want to teach anymore. I mean, can you blame them? Put yourself in the shoes of a teacher. Look at what they have to deal with. Over the course of the last couple of years, the GOP has been hysterical over CRT, then grooming when it comes to pronouns in classrooms or LGBTQ affirming teachers who are offering themselves as a safe person to come out to, to gay students. All of a sudden, teachers are being heckled by parents. School boards are getting berated by psychopathic parents who are brainwashed by Fox News. And of course, the result is pretty predictable. Nobody wants to be in that environment that's extremely toxic. I mean, we've talked about how queer teachers have resigned because of this, because of their treatment specifically in states like Florida. So for Fox News to demonize teachers in that way and then turn around and feign concern over the teacher shortage, I mean, this is your fault. It's your fault. Own it. Now, you know, the goal, the long-term goal of the right has always been to dismantle public education and really what they want 
is for you to either pull your child out and homeschool them, that's less children going to public schools, or most importantly, enroll your children in private schools. Now, a lot of Americans can't afford that because tuition for private schools is extremely expensive, but all of these rich Fox News hosts, every single one of their crotch goblins, I guarantee it, goes to private schools. So they don't care that what they're doing is worsening public schools. That's the goal, in fact, because, you know, the more terrible that public schools gets, the more that they are, you know, underfunded, that's better for their uh, advertisers or if you're a Republican politician, do donors who have these private schools. Now, it's not just right-wing attacks on teachers. They're dealing with a plethora of issues. As the Washington Post explains, why are America's schools so short-staffed? Experts point to a confluence of factors including pandemic-induced teacher exhaustion, low pay, and some educators sense that politicians and parents and sometimes their own school board members have little respect for their profession amid an escalating educational culture war that has seen many districts and states pass policies and laws restricting what teachers can say about U.S. history history, race, racism, gender, and sexual orientation, as well as LGBTQ issues. Quote, the political situation in the United States combined with the legitimate after effects of COVID has created this shortage, said Randy Weingarten, president of the American Federation of Teachers. This shortage is contrived. Now, there's one school district in North Texas we learned about this week that banned effectively the word transgender, banned the use of pronouns, so teachers can no longer introduce themselves to students with pronouns. So if you are a non-binary teacher, then you're not supposed to tell the students what your preferred pronouns are. Students can't share their preferred pronouns. And then the school board was dealing with lunatics like this. Yeah! Thank you, Shannon, Casey, Timmy, Kathy. Keep winning, baby! Do it! Embrace simple truths. There's only two genders. And boys should go to boys' rooms. Girls should go to girls' restrooms. And guess what? Teachers shouldn't be forced to use your freaking made-up fantasy pronouns. Fight like hell. Hold the line against the LGBT mafia and their dang pedo fans. Keep winning. You know what? Keep the winning. They can keep the monkeypox. How's that working? Back, keep running so much, we'll keep coming. You know what? We're going to keep coming so hard, the only thing these woke tards got to figure out is whether it's on their face, back, bottom, thighs. Woo! It's up! Thank you! Yeah, who wants to deal with that? Who wants to deal with these types of parents? I know I certainly wouldn't. And look, to me, my goal was always to be a teacher. I never wanted to teach elementary school, but I wanted to be a teacher at the collegiate level. I wanted to be, I know this sounds dumb, but I wanted to teach at community colleges. Even though the pay is worse than at universities, it's hard to get tenure in universities, but I mean, even though the pay is worse than at universities, like to me, I felt like a really crucial part of my development as a, an adult came when I attended community college because of the wonderful professors that taught there. You know, they really helped me. So I, I thought that maybe I can help disadvantaged people as well. And that was always my goal. But nowadays, like how... The environment in the classroom is so toxic thanks to right-wingers, probably less so at the college level, but still, I mean, I don't know that I would want to put up with that. If I tell students to wear a mask and they freak the fuck out, I don't want to deal with that shit. Who would want to deal with these fucking Karens? I wouldn't. So, you know, if you're going to complain about this issue, Fox News, Republicans, perhaps don't contribute to it and actually respect the people who are educating our children. They may not be educating your children since your children go to private school, since you're all rich. But, I mean, maybe stop 
adding to this issue and just acknowledge that teachers are human beings. Not all of them are great, right? But most of them, the overwhelming majority, I'd argue, are doing their best to help their students. Most of them are good. And they're just not treated with the respect that they deserve. And as a result, we're losing a lot of really good teachers, thanks to Republicans making the classroom a culture war. And that's really unfortunate, but Republicans are going to do whatever they can to advance their disgusting, nefarious, fascistic political agenda. And teachers just happen to be grand, ground zero, at least right now. So I've talked about how the Republican Party wasn't too happy about Biden's decision to cancel ten dollars to $20,000 worth of student loans because they claim that this is a giveaway to the wealthy. Comically so. It's incredibly disingenuous and idiotic, as I explained in that video. They don't care about tax cuts or uh, benefits unless they go specifically to elites. But when it comes to policies that help working class Americans, that's when they're irate. Now, one of the individuals, curiously so, who decided to speak up is Marjorie Taylor Greene. Now, for her to say what she's going to say, and you're gonna see this in a moment here, it's incredibly rich, it's incredibly hypocritical. And you probably can already suspect why I'm calling her a hypocrite, because of course, she's taken out some loans. And I'll tell you what happened to those loans after we see what she said about student loans being forgiven. Let's watch. For our government just to say, you know, okay, well, your debt is completely forgiven. Obviously, they have an agenda for that. They need votes in November. So the timing is a pure coincidence there as well. But it's completely unfair. And taxpayers all over the country, taxpayers that never took out a student loan, taxpayers that pay their bills and, and, and you know, maybe even never went to college or just hardworking people, they shouldn't have to pay off the great big student loan debt for, for some college student that piled up massive debt going to some Ivy League school. That's not fair. First of all, you nitwit, if you go to an Ivy League school, odds are your parents were pretty wealthy, wealthy enough to foot the bill. I don't know anyone who has student debt that went to an Ivy League school. I mean, I'm sure that it is a thing, but we're not talking about elites here. Like this is always the framing from media and often from politicians. They make it seem as if people who have student debt, well, they're wealthy. I mean, if you have wealth, if you're rich, you wouldn't have student debt in the first place. But when it comes to cancellation specifically, 87% of recipients of student debt cancellation make less than $75,000 annually. We are talking about working class Americans here, not elites. But let's get to the crux of her argument. Quote, to say your debt is completely forgiven, it's completely unfair. So debt should not be forgiven, right, Marjorie? Okay, well, uh, let's check the status of her $182,300 PPP loan for her construction business, Taylor Commercial Inc. Looks like the status of that loan in its entirety was forgiven. But let's remember what she said in that video, quote, taxpayers that pay their bills and maybe even never went to college who are just hardworking people, they shouldn't have to pay off the great big student loan debt. So other people shouldn't have to pay off other people's debts. Unless it's a $182,300 PPP debt for Marjorie Taylor Greene's construction company. Why do I have to pay that off? I don't benefit from her construction company. Why does your tax dollars have to go to Marjorie Taylor Greene, somebody who is already extremely wealthy? Seems a little bit unfair based on her standards, does it not? But yet, she's outraged 
that people would have their loans forgiven after she had her loans forgiven. What a fucking insufferable hypocrite. And she's not alone because many members of Congress had PPP loans. And guess what? They were all forgiven. As Hassan points out, this includes Matt Gates. He had a $476,000 PPP loan that was forgiven in its entirety. Same with Greg Pence. Vern Buchanan, who had a $2.8 million PPP loan. Holy shit. Kevin Hearn, Roger Williams, Brett Guthrie with a $4.3 million PPP loan. All of that was forgiven by daddy government. Ralph Norman, Ralph Abraham, Mike Kelly had almost $1 million. Vicki Hartzler, Mark Wayne Mullen, another one who almost had $1 million forgiven by the government. Carol Miller with $3.1 million. All of these members of Congress, they took out PPP loans and had that forgiven. But yet we see mass hysteria from the GOP after Biden announces that he's canceling a measly $10,000, $20,000 from student loan holders who are strapped with this debt and have been struggling to pay it off for years now. Can't buy homes, can't buy cars, can't move out of their parents' homes. But yet, that's egregious. But members of Congress, who are already extremely wealthy, taking out PPP loans from the government and then having that forgiven, not a problem at all. Now, you know, whether or not they're hypocrites, these individuals in particular, perhaps they're not as hypocritical as Marjorie Taylor Greene, but they're certainly selfish. Because in 2019, Ilhan Omar introduced the Student Debt Cancellation Act. And do you want to know how many members of this group who took out PPP loans co-sponsored that legislation? I'll let you take a guess. The number is zero. Zero. None of them supported that legislation. But yet, they welcomed their loans being forgiven to the tune of millions of dollars in some cases. But yet, it's really bad that you had your student loan forgiven a little bit. Like, you still probably have it. But, you know, $10,000 wiped off, that's egregious. It's just, it's ridiculous how brazen they are in their hypocrisy. They're, they're just shameless, completely shameless. And it's not just politicians, because I talked about this the other day. Right-wing propagandists like Ben Shapiro denounced student debt relief on Twitter, saying, don't take out debt you will likely be unable to pay off and don't ask others to pay off your debts. But yet, the entirety of his $20,000 PPP loan was forgiven, interest and all. And the same is true with Steven Crowder, who denounced student loan cancellation after having his $70,000 PPP loan forgiven. I mean, these people are just completely shameless. They don't care how hypocritical they are. You can actually look at who took out PPP loans and whether or not they were forgiven, but yet they're denouncing loan forgiveness as if this is some sort of a bad thing when this is functionally a tax cut for working Americans who are struggling to pay off this debt. But because it doesn't benefit them, because it's not benefiting their wealthy buddies, well, all of a sudden it's bad. Don't let them fool you. These are hypocrites. They think that loan forgiveness is A-OK -okay only if it's benefiting them or Republicans in Congress who are already rich. But these are fucking hypocrites. And every single time they bring up how student debt cancellation is bad, throw this in their faces. Take a screenshot of the PPP loan that Marjorie Greene received that it was forgiven. And anytime she brings this up, respond to her on Twitter with that screenshot. Let them know that we're, we're not gonna let them get away with their hypocrisy. We see them and they're full of shit. And Senate Democrat Catherine Cortez Masto, who's in a 
uh, tight race in Nevada, says that it, quote, doesn't address the root problems that make college unaffordable. So, Laura, was this move, and as, uh, you know, Stephen Ratner called it, the, the biggest uh, layout of money through an executive order in the history of the country, was it a mistake? Well, I think the biggest layout of money is when Republicans give tax cuts to the wealthy, and we don't talk about that as a giveaway. But here's what I will say, Martha. As the daughter of two grocery workers who had to take out student loans and who paid them off, I won't benefit from this, but I sure am glad he's doing it. And I think you'll see a lot of working-class parents feeling that way, who worked hard so their kids could go to school. And it's not a zero-sum game. Just because we're talking about debt for people that are saddled with it. Working class kids that have done right, that have been able to go to college, doesn't mean that if you're a plumber or you're in a trade, you're not going to benefit from well, other Laura, Biden policies. About that. that infrastructure deal is going to build careers. It's going to help uh, well, working people to see the build of trades, retire you know, with a pension. Really These Laura, are the types you, of things me, you got to look at the me, full you, picture. You and so, so I think that it's really important. Okay, hold on. Oh, sorry. I thought that Gianna was going a little way, so I thought I'd go too. I just wanted to, no, I wanted to you, you got a number of things in there. So I want to go back to the first thing that you said, which was your parents' efforts to pay for your college education. So how are we sending the right message to Americans when we say that if you take out a loan, you don't have to pay it back? Here's what we'll say. Education's gotten too expensive and the crippling debt is stopping people like my mom from having grandchildren. I know she'd love to see my brother's debt forgiven uh, so that she, he can possibly have another kid. And these are the types of decisions that American families are making. And so my Republican dad agrees. My Democratic mom agrees. This type of thing is not bad for America to allow middle class families to move forward. And by no means is it the only policy that the Biden administration is advancing. You know, everybody's going to be happy that uh, like seniors, when Medicare is negotiating prescription drug prices and saving them cash there, when their energy and their health care costs go down uh, because of that okay. Joe Manchin, it's Joe just Biden a very, bill. You know, it's a very I think you, gotta, you um, can't look at this as one yeah. thing. you got to look at the full package, well, and that's I'm what voters will do in the fall. Of the that's why Biden's to Americans are going that up. The government will pay for everything <laughs> for you. And we, we have to leave it there, but it's a very different America than I think my parents and probably your parents grew up in, um, where we're going to try to cover these costs. And I, I, I just don't know where it ends right. is, is the point. But Gianna and, and, and Laura, I got to leave upset. Yeah, th yeah, thank you. Thank you both for what being here What about the PPP today. loans that they forgave for Matt Gates well, for, yeah, for Charlie Crist for That was a unique circumstance in the middle of the pandemic, which is now over, um, according to the CDC. So, all right, guys, thank you very much for being here. Oh, that was so good. <laughs> that was so good. Oh, my God. Best Fox News clip of the year by far. I love that. That right there, my friends, is what happens when you confront Republicans about their hypocrisy. They have no idea how to respond. It's like deer in headlights. She hadn't even thought about this. Wait, am I maybe a hypocrite for justifying PPP loans that were forgiven after I spent the last couple of min minutes bashing student loan forgiveness? It hadn't even crossed her mind. And let's go to an instant replay because you can see how frantic she was. So as soon as Matt Gates's name was mentioned, her eyes got bigger. You could almost hear her thinking, oh shit, what the fuck am I going to say? She put her head down trying to think of some way that she can justify this. But the best that she had was, oh, that was a unique circumstance. Really? That's the best that you have? I mean, I don't blame you because you only had a couple of seconds to come up with some sort of rationalization for why that was good and this is bad when it comes to student debt. But you just said a minute prior, quote, so how are we sending the right message to Americans when we say that if you take out a loan, you don't have to pay it back? You just said that. Your words, not mine. But all of a sudden, 
Oh, that was a unique circumstance. Mm, so good. So good. I will never not enjoy exposing these hypocrites. So I've done this multiple times this week, but we have to do it again. It's that good. PragerU called canceling student debt, quote, bailing out irresponsible behavior after having their $700,000 PPP loan forgiven in its entirety. Steven Crowder tweeted again about student debt, saying blue collar workers are paying for the degrees of doctors and lawyers, but he doesn't seem too concerned about blue collar workers paying for his $70,000 PPP loan that was forgiven. Ben Shapiro said, don't take out debt if you're unable to pay it off after having his $20,000 PPP loan forgiven. Once again, interest in all. And probably my favorite hypocrite of the week, Marjorie Taylor Greene says student loan forgiveness is, quote, completely unfair despite the fact that her company had loans worth $183,504 forgiven by daddy government. And if you go to Twitter and you look at what Steven Crowder and Ben Shapiro are saying about student loans, everybody is replying with screenshots showing that their PPP loan was forgiven, but they're not addressing it. Why? Because they're hypocrites and there's no way that you can rationalize their behavior. There's no way. They're just straight hypocrites and they're embarrassed probably. So it's smart that Ben Shapiro hasn't tweeted about this since he was exposed for having a PPP loan that was forgiven. But Steven Crowder is still continuing to tweet through it, even though we all see through him. They have no fucking shame, but every single time they denounce student debt cancellation, save these screenshots in your phone of their PPP loan that was forgiven and throw it in their face. You don't have to say anything, just reply with the screenshot and they know that they're hypocrites. They know that we see through them. Now, one other thing that that Fox uh, News host said was, it's a very different America that my parents and your parents grew up in suggesting that, oh, it's so weird that we're forgiving the debt of these students. Now, it's bizarre that she said that because it's actually true. It is a very different America that her parents grew up in. And that America was uh, a world where tuition wasn't as expensive. And when you took out a loan, you could easily pay it back by getting essentially any job. You could work at Taco Bell and pay off your loan relatively easily. I've had these conversations with my professors who are older in their 70s, and they explained to me how easy it was to pay off their debt. They took out student loans, they paid it off within a couple of months, because at that time, you can get a job basically anywhere and make a sufficient income to support an entire family. But nowadays, that has changed. The economic circumstances have changed drastically. And we're not talking about wealthy people getting debt relief, as was the case with PPP loans. We're talking about working class Americans. 87% of the individuals who are receiving debt forgiveness as part of Biden's plan, they make less than $75,000 per year. We're talking about working class people who haven't been able to purchase homes, purchase cars, move out of their families' homes because they can't survive because of this debt that they are strapped with because most jobs in America, 65% require college degrees. So in order to make it in this economy, you have to have a college degree. And now all of a sudden they're being punished for trying to pull themselves up by their bootstraps, put themselves through school. It's not like we're just slacking, going to school, you know, fucking around. Like when I went to school, I was working two jobs, living on my own, trying to make ends meet. I was a full-time student, a full-time worker. Like this is hard work. And still, it didn't lead to success for almost everyone. But if we were doing the same thing when that Fox host's parents we're younger. If we were living in that economy, we would be successful. So times have changed and you have to adapt to accommodate newer generations who were fucked over 
after college was no longer subsidized as heavily when the economy changed. Now, going back to the start of the clip, I want to touch on that again because they brought up how Democrats are against student debt cancellation and they're trying to use them for propaganda purposes so they can essentially make it seem as if it's that much more unreasonable because here's a couple of Democrats who are against it. Now, that is correct. These Democrats are being used as useful idiots by the right. And it's because they're currently in battleground states and they think that if they come out against Biden here, then that's going to work out well for them. Now, I'll explain to you why they're wrong, but let's get to what they said. This is from HuffPost, quote, as someone who's paying off my own family student loans, I know the costs of higher education are too high, Representative Tim Ryan said in a statement Wednesday. And while there's no doubt that a college education should be about opening opportunities, waiving debt for those already on a trajectory to financial security sends the wrong message. Go fuck yourself, Tim Ryan. Uh, Senator Catherine Cortez Masto, who is seen as one of the most vulnerable Senate Democrats fighting for another term, doesn't agree with Biden's decision to opt for a one-time payment since it doesn't address the root causes of the college affordability issue. Quote, we should be focusing on passing my legislation to expand Pell Grants for lower-income students, targeting loan forgiveness to those in need, and actually make college more affordable for working families, she said. Representative Chris Pappas, another Democrat in the battleground district, said Biden should have gone through Congress to get student loan cancellation done. So we have Tim Ryan, who's just flat out against it. We have Catherine Cortez Masto, another Democrat who isn't necessarily against it explicitly, but she just thinks that the baby steps that Biden took were too big and she wants to take even smaller baby steps. And then Chris Pappas is basically saying, oh, well, it should have just gone through Congress. So in other words, he doesn't think that it should happen because it wouldn't pass if it went through Congress because the Senate would not approve that because you guys haven't gotten rid of the filibuster. Not you and the House, Chris Pappas, to be clear, but senators haven't done that. So, you know, this is a really bold strategy if you are currently in a battleground state because guess what? Student loan forgiveness is extremely popular. And if Biden wanted to increase his standing with the base even more, he should have gone bigger and canceled $50,000 worth of student debt. This is a winning policy. From The Hill, a recent national poll conducted by progressive think tank Data for Progress just before Biden's announcement found 60 percent of 1,425 respondents agreed the federal government should eliminate all or some student loan debt for every borrower, compared to 34 percent who said the government should not forgive the loans and 6 percent who said they didn't know. The poll was conducted between August 19th through the 21st online and has a margin of error of plus or minus three percentage points. Now, this includes 81 percent of Democrats and Believe it or not, 45% of Republicans. Yeah. So these dumbass Democrats decided in their infinite wisdom, in their battleground states where they're struggling, that, you know what, this overwhelmingly popular issue, I'm going to be on the side of the people who are against this popular issue. I'm going to side against the overwhelming majority of the American population. That'll help me get elected. Are you fucking stupid? 81% of Democrats support this. 45% of Republicans support this. Like, if you want to galvanize your base, get young people out to vote for you, you don't attack Biden for doing the one good thing that he's done for young people in months. You actually applaud him 
and you call on him to go even further. But these dipshits, they don't understand good politics. And this is why they're struggling. For example, Tim Ryan is losing to fake populist psychopath J.D. Vance, according to RCP polling averages. And rather than trying to out-populist J.D. Vance, he runs in the opposite direction and sides against a popular policy issue. I mean, you have to be so fucking stupid to be against this. It's like coming out against apple pie. It's like coming out against legalizing weed. Like, how dumb do you have to be to see the polls and say, I'm going to get on the losing side, the 34% of Americans who are against this? Jesus Christ. So, you know, look, Republicans are going to use these idiot Democrats for propaganda purposes, because if Democrats are opposed to it, well, then it must be unreasonable. But do you want to know what I stated that? Fuck these Democrats. They're fucking stupid, just as dumb as you Republicans. But in this instance, with J.D. Vance versus Tim Ryan, J.D. Vance is a legitimate psychopath. Now, I think that he's probably playing a character for purposes of pandering to MAGA chuds, but it doesn't matter. If he's running this populist campaign and he's edging out ahead of you, you don't do the opposite of populism. You run to what the people want, but Democrats just don't get it. But overall, anyone who doesn't get it, you know, they're in for a wake-up call because Americans support this, young people support this, and there is nothing that will get more young people off their asses than policies like this. And so if a politician tells me that they support what Biden did but want to go further, they have my unconditional support. I may not agree with them on other issues, but this is one of the core issues that is plaguing an entire generation. And now Gen Z, and it's not just like millennials and Zoomers to be fair, Z uh, there are boomers, there are Gen Xers who have student debt. So this is popular. So wake up, stop pretending as if this is unpopular. And if you took out a PPP loan that was forgiven, I'm looking at you, Prager. I'm looking at you, Steven Crowder and Marjorie Green. You in particular should probably shut the fuck up. Want more? Visit humanistreport.com for links to our full catalog of videos on YouTube, Means TV, and Facebook. You can also find audio versions of the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, and other major podcast platforms. And before you go, consider supporting the show on Patreon or through YouTube memberships. You'll get early access to most videos, invites to monthly live chats with Mike, and you'll be thanked by name at the start of the next episode. There are other ways to support the show. You can like, subscribe, turn on notifications, and share our content on social media. Thank you for watching.